As part of his populist campaign, John Edwards attacked corporate America with particular venom reserved for the health insurance companies. As one of his examples, he used the story of the 17-year-old girl who died while waiting for insurance approval for a liver transplant. Yet would a single-payer national health care plan be a better answer? A look at how some other countries allocate resources for transplants is not reassuring. You're listening to ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Benson. Today we will be discussing organ transplants here and abroad, who pays and who decides, with our guest, Dr. Scott Gottlieb. He is a practicing internist and former deputy commissioner of the FDA for Medical and Scientific Affairs. He has also served as a senior policy advisor at the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Welcome, Scott. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. We're pleased to have you on the show. First, let's discuss some of the differences in how transplanted organs are allocated and the procedures paid for by different countries. How does the system work in the U.S.? Well, organs here in the U.S. are allocated by a national system through UNIS, which probably most physicians are familiar with, and it's based on criteria that deals with a lot of measures about how sick the patient is. So when you're looking at livers specifically, they'll use certain markers to indicate how advanced the patient's liver failure is and how how critical the patient is. So for example, it's a score-based system. So patients who are uh, hospitalized in an intensive care unit will be higher up. They'll get more more points, if you will. Patients who have a higher, what's referred to as a MELD score, which is a measure of synthetic liver function, among other things, will also be higher up on the list. And within the system that measures disease severity, there's also considerations given to regional distribution of organs. So organs often stay within regions. So if a patient's in New York City and an organ becomes available in the proximity to the city, that organ will often stay within that region. So they'll look for patients who who are highest up on the list within that local geographic area. But there's other criteria. These are just some of the major criteria that are used. Is this a government organization or a voluntary organization? Who who staffs this organization? Who's actually in the decision-making tree? I think the best way to describe it is a, it's a public-private partnership. Government agencies play a role, but it's a private organization as far as my, I understand it. And are there more people needing liver transplants than get them every year? That goes without saying. The waiting list is very long, and there's a lot of patients that don't get listed who have end-stage liver disease and don't get listed because they have uh, certain comorbidities that really contraindicate them from being successful organ recipients. So, you know, patients a lot of times who are co-infected with uh, HIV, patients who have very advanced liver dysfunction, who might have other active diseases that make them poor candidates to be successful transplant recipients. I had a patient when I was in training who had end-stage liver as a result of requiring constant blood transfusions secondary to sickle cell disease, and that patient was deemed to be a poor transplant candidate because of the underlying sickle disease and wasn't able to receive an organ. So there's reasons why patients might not get listed. But by and large, when you look at the patients who do get listed here in the U.S., they're far more acute than the patients in other countries. And we took a look at this at the American Enterprise Institute at at what the criteria is for listing patients and what the composition is of the waiting list, how the patients look from a clinical standpoint. When the uh, discussion around the unfortunate woman who wasn't able to get an organ in California came up, and then this became part of the discussion of Edwards' presidential campaign, And what we found was that the patients who are getting listed here in the U.S. and do receive organs are, on the whole, much sicker than the patients in other countries. And that's at least in part because the sick patients in other countries just don't pass go. They don't get listed at all. 
And so, you know, discussion, the discussion was, would this, this unfortunate patient, would, would a more sympathetic, if you will, healthcare system have offered this woman an organ transplant? And comparisons were made to the single-payer systems in Europe. And I think all the objective evidence indicates that, in fact, those systems are far more discriminating in weeding out people and that this patient likely would have had no chance of getting listed in any other country. What about, is there an age limit in the United States about organ transplants? Does age factor into these decision trees? Age factors in it as a consideration, in my understanding, a sort of secondary consideration in terms of considering what the patient's capacity is, what their overall health is. But there's no hard cutoff. And in some countries, there's also exists a very hard cutoff in terms of an age limit. So, for example, Switzerland has a cutoff on the age at which a patient could be eligible to receive an organ. But that's not true here in the U.S.? No. And what about who pays in the U.S.? Well, it depends on how the patient's insured. Oftentimes, uh, a lot of these patients are on Medicaid or Medicare. Sometimes they're under private insurance as well. You know, you're dealing with a lot of patients with, if you think about the diseases that lead to a lot of end-stage liver disease here in the U.S., the two leading causes of end-stage liver disease are hepatitis C and alcoholic cirrhosis. And very often, those patients, because of conditions that you know, led them to get their disease or as a consequence of their disease, end up on public assistance programs. It's not the vast majority of those patients, but there is a, a higher proportion of patients with those diseases who do end up on public assistance programs. So often it is Medicare, Medicaid, but there's a good amount of organ transplant recipients who are paid for under private insurance. The way it's generally done here in the U.S. is that patients are very often transplanted before the insurance situation is even resolved because the organs, the patients become very ill, especially the ones with acute or fulminant liver failure who didn't have chronic liver disease but became acutely ill because of you know, a drug toxicity or some other acute toxicity, some other acute insult to the organ, maybe a, a blood clot in the portal vein. And those patients will have to get listed and then transplanted very quickly. They're oftentimes critically ill. And there's not enough time to sort out the insurance situation. Most institutions, most of the academic hospitals will go ahead and transplant those patients and then sort out the insurance situation after the fact. That's what made the case of the young woman in California unusual. And I think what was one of the facts that really wasn't discussed in the media and, and a lot of clinicians who evaluated that case didn't quite understand is why UCLA, the woman was being cared for at UCLA, why they didn't go ahead and, and transplant her while the insurance was being resolved, the way it was reported at least. And we only have the information that was made available publicly through the public reports and through the press, so we have to trust what we read. But the way it was reported was that UCLA was waiting for her insurance company to come through with authorization that she could receive a transplant that they would they would pay for it. And that, that didn't come in time was the way it got reported. And she unfortunately passed away while that was still tr- while they were still trying to resolve that. If you have just joined us, you are listening to ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Benson. And my guest is Dr. Scott Gottlieb, a practicing internist and resident fellow of the American Enterprise Institute. Today we are discussing organ transplants here and abroad. Who pays and who decides? What about the per capita rate of liver transplants in different countries? Do France, Canada, and the UK, who have a single-payer system, do they beat us hands down in terms of their efficiency in transplanting livers? No. By most objective measures, we not only transplant a higher proportion of patients here in the U.S. on a per capita basis, our patients generally do better. The long-term outcomes are better for patients, generally speaking. And we are transplanting sicker patients. Now, there are all kinds of confounding reasons why some of those variables exist. So, for example, we transplant more patients on a per capita basis, but we also have more organ donations here in the U.S. on a per capita basis than some other countries enjoy. So we have more organs available for transplant on the whole. But we also do more living-related donors. In the U.K., it's very uncommon to see living-related donor surgeries, while that's very common here in the U.S. So there's other reasons. There's 
multitude of reasons why we have more organs and more transplants on a per capita basis, not only because there's more organs available through more donations, but also because we're more willing to engage in the aggressive kinds of surgeries, such as living-related donor organ transplants. In terms of the outcomes, we, on the whole, show better outcomes from surgery than most other countries. Now, there are some isolated studies that do demonstrate better outcomes in certain situations. For example, there was one study in the UK that looked at both short and long-term outcomes and showed that in the short run, patients who are transplanted receive liver transplants in the in the UK relative to the US don't do as well, but then that basically equilibrates over time. And the presumption was that because the UK has more general medical care, more primary care services readily available to these patients, over time, they're able to make up the difference for whatever deficiencies there might be or shortcomings that might be in the acute care setting around these organ transplants. But that was a single study, and, and there's many others that speak in the opposite direction, that outcomes are, in fact, better. And finally, when you look at the kinds of patients who are being transplanted in these countries, on the whole, the patients here in the U.S. are far sicker. Now, when you look at, for example, patients who are transplanted in the UK, many more on a sort of per capita basis, on a proportional basis, many more of the transplants are going to patients who have acute liver disease as a result, to, as a result of, for example, a drug toxicity, if you will, versus here in the U.S. where a higher proportion on a relative basis of the transplants are going to patients who have chronic liver disease, either from hepatitis C or alcoholic cirrhosis, the two leading causes of chronic liver failure. So those patients aren't getting transplanted at a proportional rate in the U.K., the hepatitis C patients and the alcoholic cirrhotics aren't making it on the waiting lists at the same rate that they are here in the U.S. Why do we have a higher living donor donation rate than the European countries? Is it a medical practice or is it more related to expense? That's a good question. And I only looked at, when we looked through the data, I, was, I only looked at the UK, so I'm not familiar with what the data is in the other European countries about living-related donor surgeries. But living-related donor surgeries was slow in coming to the UK, and they still don't do as many of those procedures. There's only a handful of institutions in the country who are doing it. And I think it's a confluence of things. I think that you know the expertise was, was pioneered here in the US and propagated here in the US before it propagated in other countries. It's probably certainly related to a cost considerations. There are stronger cost considerations in other countries where you have a more, a more nationalized single-payer system. Uh, so I think, again, it, it relates to a confluence of factors. There's just not as much of a historical tradition of doing those surgeries in the U.K. There's not as much experience. There's not as many institutions that are experienced in doing it. As you know, it's it's become, I don't want to say common, but there's quite a handful of institutions here in the U.S. that have really developed an expertise in those kinds of surgeries. I want to thank Dr. Scott Gottlieb, a resident fellow of the American Enterprise Institute, who's been our guest. We have been discussing organ transplants here and abroad, who pays and who decides. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Benson. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. We would really like to hear from you. For comments and questions about this program or suggestions for other shows, send your email to reachmd.com. You can hear podcasts of this and other programs as well as get show schedules on our website at reachmd.com. Be safe. Be informed. Thank you for listening.